So I've been following news on developments with the new Picard show, that the yet-to-be-named Picard show. And uh, in the last couple of weeks, they actually announced that Jonathan Frakes is going to be directing at least one episode. So I knew that Jonathan Frakes had uh, directed a bunch of Star Trek episodes um, from various series in the past. But when I heard the news that he's directing in Picard, I was like, oh, I should re- kind of refresh myself on what he's done. Because I know that he directed, I knew off the top of my head immediately that he directed Star Trek First Contact, which is arguably the best of the Next Generation movies. I would argue for that, yes. But he also directed Insurrection, which is arguably the worst of the Next Generation movies. Yeah. (laughs) Looking at the Next Generation series, though, uh, Jonathan Frakes directed, I believe, eight episodes of the Next Generation. And just to name a few of them, one of them was The Offspring. That's the one when Data uh, builds himself a daughter. Lol. Lol. I mean, Lal. I'm sorry. Lal. Uh, a few weeks ago, Jared and I were talking about other Star Trek spinoffs they could do, and I suggested that uh, we give Data's daughter uh, her own show. And um, Data, you kind of joked about what if in this spinoff show that we have, his consciousness is now an entire ship. Yeah. <laughs> and and so I suggest that um, Lal be the main character of this show, and we call it My Father the Ship. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. We have some really good ideas sometimes. Um, anyways, other other shows, other episodes that um, Jonathan Frakes directed, he did um, Cause and Effect. That's the one where um, in season five where the Enterprise is caught in a time loop, which ultimately always ends with it uh, being destroyed. I love that episode. And then this one. This, this is perhaps the greatest episode of Star Trek that Jonathan Frakes has ever directed. It's called Sub Rosa. Season 7, episode 14, and it is the episode where Beverly Crusher falls in love with her dead grandmother's former ghost lover. I'm going to be one. I'm going to become part of you, Beverly. Would you like that? Oh, yes, more than anything. Yes, it was with your grandmother and your great-grandmother. Oh. <laughs> uh, one of the things that truly makes this one hard to buy or to, to, to get behind is that it features Beverly and Picard having like catty girlfriend talk about like her sex life <laughs> and 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 he, and he makes a sound like mm, or something like that and i just can't i cannot <laughs> but you know what we're not here to talk about the episodes of star trek we dislike we are here to talk about the ones we love featuring jean-luc picard because this is the jean-luc picard cast shall i compare all right welcome back to the second installment of the jean-luc picard cast i'm shark gillens and i'm jared gillens we're here to talk about star trek our love of all things captain jean-luc picard as played by patrick stewart so if you have a story that you would like to share on our podcast that somehow involves Patrick Stewart playing Jean-Luc Picard, you can reach out to us at picodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at picodcast, or you can find us on Facebook just by searching for the Jean-Luc Picardcast. You'll find us there. And uh, we would love to hear your stories. And today, Jared is sharing something real special with us. The, the episode that I love that I wanted to talk about is season five, episode two. And for those of you who don't have them all memorized, that is the episode known as Darmok. Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra. So I was looking into this episode, kind of the background of it, and found a couple interesting things that I thought I'd share. For First of all, this episode had the longest period of development 
of really? any of any Star Trek Next Generation episode. It took about two years to make this episode happen. What? Yeah. Apparently, uh, Rick Berman um, he did not like the premise of this episode when it was pre- uh, presented to him. Yeah, apparently they just didn't like how it was playing out. Rick Berman thought it wasn't really that great of an idea. Um, but thank heavens that they, they worked it out. I agree. And, you know, I, I think Rick Berman did a lot of great things, but I, I, there are also several things that I disagree with him on, and this is definitely one of them. <laughs> yeah. Berman, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and a couple other quick little things. Ashley Judd, this is her first credited appearance on TV or in a movie. Really? Yep. She has a, a minor role. If you remember, uh, she interacts with Jordy a little bit in engineering during this episode. Matrix levels? Annular convergence, 439.205. Confinement resolution, 0.527. Yeah, I remember. I mean, I knew she was in it, and I, and I was pretty sure it was her first. I mean, because she, she she came back a couple times as, as Ensign Leffler, but I didn't know it was right. her first um, appearance ever on anything in yeah. movies. Yep. So if you can get her to sign a copy of this episode... It's going to be worth a pretty penny someday. But yeah, yeah, no, most <laughs> one of the things that I that I've always liked about this episode, but the 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 uh, actor who played Dathan, the the captain of the Temerian ship, uh is Paul Winfield and I I just think it's really cool that they brought him back cuz Paul Winfield actually was the captain that was over Chekhov in Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. He ended up, you know, with a weird mind-controlling slug in his ear and he killed himself he he vaporized himself rather than kill uh kirk mm-hmm. uh, so that was like really his introduction to star trek and i love that they brought him back as a guest star in next generation to play dathan i think you know it's just a cool little tribute to a good actor and a great star trek veteran um i'm gonna read directly what is on imdb for this episode under the plot holes uh, the first one says science and engineering especially that required to build a starship require precision the Temerian language would be insufficient to do this. All right, so that's number one. Number two says, the Temerians would have to once had a language without the use of metaphor, or they could never have developed the structure they used at the time of the encounter Um, with the Enterprise. I don't know. Like, actually, I I read an article. I want to say it was from The New Yorker, and they discussed the whole episode at length, and they kind of really get into the nitty-gritty of, like, linguistics and some of the ideas that were presented in the episode. But they talk about, they address this issue, and I can't remember exactly how the author got his way around it, but basically what he argued was that in the Temerian language, or rather in the Temerian culture, spoken language had been adapted for certain purposes, whereas like a technical sort of thing, like let's say, you know, they are saying we need to make the warp core go as fast as possible. And they would say the rabbit of Tanagra runs fast in winter or something like that. Like communicating the idea of what they need would then give everything needed to know to the people who are doing the engineering to mm-hmm. execute their tasks. And that spoken language wouldn't necessarily come into how they work together in that capacity. And I thought mm-hmm. that was a good way to think about it. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I It's one of those things where like, I don't want to get too caught up in it. <laughs> I know. It, it's, it's, un- it's besides it's, the point. Yeah, you know? it's unimportant to the story and the message, ultimately. It's an, it, right. you know, th- this is the Federation's first time really communicating with these guys. Um, who knows how much deeper and rich this language and method of communicating is? We've only seen like a 24 hours worth of people talking this, and it's, the whole time was just trying to say hello. Yeah, and we have <laughs> yeah, maybe like two dozen phrases out of this language that we've heard. For sure. And that actually, that kind of ties into what I, my thoughts on the second point, which is that the, the Temerians would have to once had a language without the use of metaphor 
or they could never have developed the structure they used at the time of the encounter with the Enterprise. So for all we know, their their culture has been around for so long that their once written language or established language that was not that did not require metaphor has basically disappeared. The way they communicate is completely caught up now in the use of metaphor. And it's obviously built on the foundation of this other of this language, but over the centuries, that more simpler language has disappeared into the metaphor. Well, in my response, when you read when you first read that 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 uh, plot hole, uh, oh, you didn't see. I just did air quotes when I said plot hole. Um, <laughs> like my initial response was, well, yeah. I mean, that's like that's not a plot hole. That's called linguistic theory. <laughs> like, in order for the words that we're saying now to make any sense, there must have been a proto modern English language that came before it, right? Right. We have stuff like that all over the place in English. You know, we can. You know, uh, one that came to my mind was you know we, people say the die is cast. That's a, you know, we all say, we know that means, oh, you know, it's uh, too late to turn back now. That comes from like ancient Roman history. It refers to, I believe, Julius Caesar, you know, kind of casting lots to decide whether or not to proceed. You know, but like the point is we, that phrase couldn't exist unless there was a pre-existing language and set of circumstances that would have led to the evolution of that phrase. And I'm just like, it seems like a weird thing to call a plot hole when it's really just the fact of how languages work. Do you remember that chainsaw suit from a, w- a long time ago? This is the Chris Straub comic strip known as Chainsaw Suit. Yeah, so for our, our for, for our listeners, yeah, Chainsaw Suit is a comic, a web comic that Jared and I follow by Chris Straub. And uh, so if you go to chainsawsuit.com, you'll find it. You can even even just googling Chainsaw Suit Darmok will pull up the strip. And describing a comic strip over a podcast is kind of a terrible way to experience it, so I highly recommend you you look it up yourself, but Basically, it's uh, the first panel has Dathan and uh, Picard talking to each other. And Dathan says, Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra. <laughs> Picard says, I seriously have no idea what you're saying. And it's annoying. And then Dathan says, I can has cheeseburger. <laughs> and then Picard goes, never going to give you up. <laughs> and so it's funny. But, it, you know, Chris, I think Straub kind of raises also kind of an interesting, like, hypothetical. What would our culture use as these references if we were speaking in metaphors? Because there but is again, meaning and understanding behind those phrases that he used. We, we pull things out of our culture and we incorporate them into our language. And yeah. people understand what you're trying to say, even though it doesn't actually refer to what you're trying to say. Well, the last thing I kind of wanted, to, my last thoughts on this episode, during the epilogue of the episode, Picard is found studying his own culture's mythology. And uh, I believe it's is it Riker that comes and asks him what he's doing. And, mm-hmm. and Picard explains to him just the importance of, of studying our and understanding our own history, our own stories. It reminded me of a conversation that um, when I was in college, I took a humanities course. And I took it because it was a general education requirement. I had to do it to graduate. Near the end of the semester, my professor kind of lectured us and said, you know, a lot of people with these uh, general education requirements, they really struggle with it. And I hear kids all the time say, why do they force us to take these classes? I'm not planning on using any of this in my career. And she told us her viewpoint was that getting a basic understanding of the subject matter in these general education courses prepares us um, to communicate in the real world um, because we understand certain ideas and concepts that are accepted by the general population. So, and I thought that was 
particularly interesting coming from a humanities professor where we're talking where we are studying you know art and culture and stories and history of of the world civilizations and um you know i thought there was a lot of wisdom in that i've i've found deeper appreciation and understanding of certain things just catching being able to catch certain references i have a hard time thinking of like a good example but you know having a conversation about the the merits or or otherwise of cloning, you know, if I don't have any idea what DNA is, then I don't, that's a conversation that's going to go largely over my head. But to have a basic understanding of DNA and a conversation about whether or not we should be cloning human beings to harvest their organs, um, it's going to help me understand a little bit more about what we're talking about, right? Right. And also, if you're not familiar with the great cultural work, Michael Bay's The Island, then you're really going to be at a loss here. <laughs> right. How are <laughs> how am I ever going to find someone to love me if I don't know The Island? But actually, a really good example of this uh, came up just in the last week. Uh, you know, Jared, I, I told you I've been rereading another webcomic called The Abominable Charles Christopher. Great and, comic. Uh, coincidentally, uh, I discovered as I was getting caught up on it, um, it's been around for a long time. It's, it's at least eight years. I kind of fell behind. And as I was getting caught up, I discovered that this whole uh, story is an basically an adaptation of the Epic of Gilgamesh. Gilgamesh. <laughs> well, there were two things that tipped me off to this. One, there is actually a character named Gilgamesh in there. <laughs> but also in the comments of one of the strips, Someone pointed out, said, oh, this is the Epic of Gilgamesh. Now it makes sense. And they started kind of making connections. Oh, this character is represents this in the in the in the story. And this represents this. That's as far as my understanding goes, because I've never read the Epic of Gilgamesh. I've heard of it. But um, whereas you, Jared, have read it. So I'm sure you have a much deeper appreciation and understanding of uh, the story in Abominable Charles Christopher, and um, you have a, a different kind of connection to it. You can take away something different and deeper because of your awareness of what it's based on. Yeah, I would say so. But that's one of the great things about that comic. And I, I guess we're kind of on a tangent here. But I, so like, it's really good storytelling because it's a straightforward story and everyone can get into it. But it's also good storytelling because if you know the context, it makes it even, it, it makes it that much more richer. And I think it's hard right. to strike that balance. A lot of times if you try to, uh, have a lot of allusions to, you know, classical things. It can come across as esoteric and hard to understand mm -hmm. uh, because, like, it's like I mean, this guy's definitely referring to something and I'm not getting it. Uh, so I really respect creators who can draw on those things while main, uh, maintaining accessibility to everybody. And you know, Carl Kershaw has really struck that balance well. You know, I think to kind of bring that back, Picard had has a general appreciation for alien cultures and races and you know he's a big believer in peace and communicating and all of that stuff but by taking time to learn a specific culture's history and um, culture he deepens that appreciation he connects with them in a, on a whole different level so you can get through life on a really basic like face value understanding of an idea or a story or what what have you. But if you take the time to get specific and dig deeper to learn more of the context and background of something, you'll have a much richer, richer deeper experience with, and I think a lot more to take away. Yeah, I mean, this is all really interesting stuff. And it, it, it just speaks to the richness of this episode and how well-written it is. I'm glad Rick Berman finally saw the light and allowed Darmok to be made. 
Uh, I want to talk a little bit about why it's like special and an important episode to me. But first, before we talk about Darmok, I have to refer to another episode. And if anybody else out there was planning on talking about uh, Samaritan Snare from season two, episode 17, please don't see this as me stealing your thunder. I would still love for anybody to talk about that show. It's also a really great Picard-centered show uh, episode. And it's also a really one of the really better uh, Wesley Crusher episodes, I would say, as well. But um, in part of the premise of this episode is that Picard and Crusher Wesley are, are going to take a long shuttle trip together. And Wesley is nervous because he's never spent time alone with Captain Picard. And he finds him very intimidating. They haven't really developed much of a relationship yet. So he's asking his fellow crew members for advice. Of like, what am I going to do this for this long shuttle ride with Picard? So Wesley is nervous and he's talking to his friend, Enzin Sonia Gomez. It's just the two of us in a shuttlecraft for six hours. What am I going to talk to Captain Picard about for six hours? Oh, archaeology, semantics, literature, art. You could learn a lot from Captain Picard. Ah, Captain Picard. Mm. Like, again, so the, like, a lot of the episode is just Picard and Wesley in this shuttle, and it's kind of awkward. But there's some really good tidbits, um, and you see some really good insights into Picard's character that I believe really come forth in Darmok. And so a couple quotes from, the, from that episode with uh, Picard talking to Wesley says, you should read more history, Ensign. And then he says, there is no greater challenge than the study of philosophy. And the last thing that I, I think was profound that he says, and I have to paraphrase a little bit here to make it make sense, but it says, he says, it takes more than the training that Starfleet Academy can offer. And then he says, open, open your, your mind, mind to, to the, the past. past. Art, history, philosophy. And all this may mean something. I just love that aspect of Picard's character. He's a, he, at heart, he's a scientist. Um, he started as a science officer before he got into his um, command uh, career track. But he, even though he's a scientist at heart, he's also a lover of philosophy and archaeology and history and art. And he, and he loves those things purely for their own merit. And he believes that, you know, having an intimate familiarity with like the Epic of Gilgamesh, it might not help you prepare, repair a warp core, but it, will also, but it will lend meaning to your life, and it will be rewarding in and of itself. For me, Picard represents a futuristic Renaissance man, and that's the sort of man who's been augmented and tempered by its, his pure interest in all things that are enriching to the mind. And this really comes to the fore, like I said, in the episode Darmok. So we'll leave uh, uh, Samaritan Snare behind, and talk, let's talk about the Darmok. So he's, he's stuck on this planet with Dathan, and... Like we've mentioned, he has no idea. I mean, he's acknowledged already at the beginning of the episode that communication requires patience. But we see Picard on the surface of this planet repeatedly losing patience with Dathan and, and repeatedly kind of just throwing his hands up and walking away because he doesn't know what's going on. But really, as he begins to catch on to how the Temerians communicate, he actually does so relatively quickly. Uh, in that the beginning of the episode, they've noted that the Federation, this isn't their first run-in with the Temerians, and they've always tried to communicate, and it's always fallen apart. And Picard is uniquely prepared to communicate with Dathan on his own terms using his cultural means of communication because Picard values these things. I guess what I what I love about Picard in this episode, or what he teaches me, is that there is worth. Like ever since I learned what the term Renaissance man means, I thought ah, I want it. That's what I want to be. Like I love 
learning about all sorts of subjects. And I, and, you know, Shark mentioned, I've read the Epic of Gilgamesh and, and I didn't read it because I thought, oh, someday this will help me communicate with a foreign culture. <laughs> I read it because I thought, I want to know what this story is. I want to know what, you know, and it's one of the oldest, it is the oldest recorded story we have. I mean, you could make arguments about, you know, certain stories that had been passed down in oral tradition being early, uh, being older or earlier. But as far as like the actual age of the source materials that, that we can date, there's no older story than Gilgamesh. And so I read it because I wanted to, I wanted to have that experience and understand it and know this part of our world culture that is really a part of me. And I just, I don't know, like I said, I, I, I really respect that Picard, he didn't read and prepare these things because he thought, oh, this will help me on an away mission. He did it because they had value in and of themselves. And yet what's really uh, vindicating and rewarding to me about this episode is that it shows that it does, you know, as he said to uh, Wesley Crusher, you know, if you study these things and understand them, all of this may mean something. And, th and the episode Darmok shows that, yes, that like prophecy, that advice from Picard is true. It brings meaning and it brings value. And I love also one of the things that's really great is that, you know, as as Dathan is lying by his fire dying and, and Picard has finally begun to figure out and understand what this language is and how it works, Dathan asks Picard for a story. Kira Adbashi, temper his arms wide. And what Picard gives him as, as he slips away is the epic of Gilgamesh and the exploits of Gilgamesh and his friend in Kidu. Gilgamesh, a king at Uruk. He tormented his subjects. He the last thing that Dathan hears as his life slips away is a tale about companionship and shared struggle and mourning the loss of a dear friend. And I just think that's so beautiful and that Picard entered that situation prepared because he had an, an appreciation and he valued his own rich cultural history of his planet and of his people. You know, at the end of the episode, Bryker comes into Picard's ready room and he finds him reading from an antique paper book, right? And, the, and I love that about Picard too. Often you see him reading on a pad or on his little weird desk laptop, um, but often you see him with a paper book. Um, and, I, and I just like that about his, uh, his character. But, uh, and he asks, you know, Bracker asks what he's doing, and he says he's writing Homer's epics. And I love that because, like, rather than simply just like writing up a report, noting the quirks of the Temerian language and, you know, noting it as a curiosity and making some like utilitarian suggestions of how to move forward with diplomatic relations, Picard is inspired to prepare himself for more interaction with Temerians. And not just necessarily, not just to the interaction with Temerians. I mean, he does say, more familiarity with our own mythology might help us relate to theirs. But I believe that Picard is just reaffirming the value that he finds in the, this, this cultural knowledge, the, the, you know, being familiar with our literature, being familiar with our mythology, being familiar with our poetry and our songs. Like these things have value to Picard in and of himself, rather than just kind of writing this off and saying, well, I'm glad we figured out their language and we'll be able to move forward. Picard, his takeaway at the end of this episode is, how can I continue to enrich myself? How can I, and he, he turns it inward. And it's a course, he chooses, like, as I 
think of it, he chooses a course of self-improvement and better familiarity with his cultural roots. And, and in the end, that makes him a better Earth-descended human. I don't know. I just love this. Like To me, like I said, Ricard is the ultimate example of the Renaissance man. And he teaches those principles in other episodes, but he exemplifies those principles and the value of them in Darmok. And that's inspiring to me. That's what led me to uh, study um, Spanish as a minor in, in college, like in part, like the, the, the desire to know this language better, to understand the literature better, to understand the morphology and history of the language better. Uh, this is in part what inspired me to go on to do a master's degree in history. This is what inspired me to read Darmok. It's what, or, or not Darmok, sorry, the Epic of Gilgamesh. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to read Darmok too. I'm, I'm going to get my hands on that script, baby. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, what inspired, this is what inspired me to read the Epic of Gilgamesh and to read other, you know, classical works and, and current works too. I just, I value literature. I value poetry. I value history. And a lot of that value came from what my father taught me and from a lot of teachers in school, but a lot of it came from the example of Captain Picard. And I will always look up to him and, and be grateful to Patrick Stewart and his portrayal, his brilliant portrayal and sincere portrayal of Picard you know, for that reason. I think that's uh, that quality you have is something that's been a part of you for most of your life. I remember back in elementary school, mom had to ground you from reading <laughs> right <laughs> mrs tennis no, yeah, this was what yeah. sixth grade for you right because you were as mrs tennis yeah with your sixth grade is what? this is like 1992 ish um yeah so she didn't ground me from reading but she would have to she would take my books away from me because i would have chores that i wasn't doing um you know so i would you know i'd be sitting there reading a book and my mom would say did you clean the kitty litter and i was like no and you know and i was supposed to do it yesterday and so mom would come and like take my book away from me and like put it on a shelf and say i couldn't have my book back for half an hour or whatever uh because i had to do my chores and i mentioned i happened to mention in passing to my teacher oh yeah my mom took my book away <laughs> and mrs tennis got really mad and called my mom <laughs> she said you never take a book away <laughs> and my mom was like you don't understand <laughs> you've always been someone who you read at least a book a week oh not, not as much anymore life life gets away from you but i still yeah I, i'm still an avid reader for sure for sure you're one of the most well-read people i know and i think in addition to being one of the most well-read people I know. You're also, of all the people I know, you are someone who I think empathizes with people who think and feel differently than you um, very strongly. Like, that's a really good quality you have. And I think a lot of that comes from uh, the background you've established for yourself in uh, the things that you've read and the the works that you've exposed yourself to. I mean, and not just in your reading, right? Like, you... You and Kelsey are going to like the opera and the ballet and you really take time to familiarize yourself with a lot of the great works and human achievements that our world has produced over centuries and millennia. And uh, I think that makes you a lot more um, better able to communicate and listen to other people and to understand where they're coming from. Well, if there if I have any such virtue, it is. I'll do to my dear captain. Just like how I'm really great with a bat list, thanks to Worf. <laughs> That's right. I was just remarking on that the other day. You know who's good with the bat list? <laughs> the shark. I took down 10 people alone last week. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in LA, sometimes it's, ne it's necessary. <laughs> Traffic is real fierce around here. <laughs> like, uh, I can see all the insurance claims. How did you get that flat tire? What is a batleth? <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> he insulted my uh, honor. <laughs> sharks on the side of the ten yelling, Kapla! <laughs> cool. All right. Well, I'd like to thank my brother Jared for sharing his story with us. If you have a story about a connection you have with Star Trek The Next Generation, you can reach out to us at picodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at picodcast. And on Facebook, just do a quick search for the Jean-Luc Picodcast and you'll find us. We look forward to hearing your stories and discussing your thoughts on Star Trek. Until next time, this has been the Jean-Luc Picodcast. Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs> Make it so. Chaka, when the walls fell. I want you all to stop crying. I totally forgot about my father, the ship. <laughs> Honestly, though, I mean, that would be a really good way if they wanted to get Brent Spiner back into the show and they're like, well, you know, we killed off his character. I seriously would totally watch a show where he was like the new computer voice. I'd be like, I would love that. And then every once in a while, there's a member of the crew who asks the computer, computer, are you able to experience love? And then the computer can say, if you mean sexually, I am fully functional in over 100 and blah, 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 blah methods. Of... <laughs> and then there's like, there's like, there's, there's a room on the ship that's just full of cats. <laughs> They're all named Spot. <laughs> Spot Prime. Some, somebody removed the emotion ship from the ship. Somebody's tampered with it. Now the ship's just angry all the time. <laughs> the ship keeps on doing Picard impersonations. Make it so. <laughs> Make it so. <laughs> nice.